Tonight we're going to talk on appearances can be deceiving. And that's why I'm up here with tonight. And so I'll ask you a couple of questions to start with. How many of you have ever thought a food looked amazing? And when you tasted it, it was terrible. Ever done that before? Some of you are thinking, yes, every meal my wife makes. Okay, that's not where I wanted to go this evening. Um, fortunately, my wife is a very good cook, and so she does make amazing meals. But man, I've been there before. You order something, come out, it looks amazing and tastes terrible. One time, my uncle took us to a very expensive restaurant in Washington, D.C. It was a type where I, I mean, I looked at the menu, I felt guilty, even though someone else was paying, uh, because I didn't want to eat there. But the food was terrible. I mean, terrible. And my wife acted like she likes it because she tries to be cultured, and I thought it was terrible. And my kids are there, and one of my kids ordered cream corn. I thought, how can they mess up cream corn? It came with the side. He was kind of whining about it. I said, come on, it's cream corn. Eat your cream corn. He's like, Dad, it's terrible. I said, no, it's not. So I reached over and took a, shoved that bite into it, and I'm like, I, I, I swallowed it. I said, yeah, right, son, that's terrible. You don't have to eat it. <laughs> so if you've ever had a moment like that, you know, maybe that's how you're feeling right now with Missions Month. Appearances can be deceiving. The so next one, have you ever tried on an outfit that looked perfect on a hanger and unflattering on you? <laughs> Guys, have you ever shopped with a lady? I think every outfit they think will look good on them, and then they try it on. This looks terrible on me. I, I guess she'll say, no, it doesn't. You really looks good. And they, they, they don't, have you ever done that? They don't take your opinion for anything? I'll ask someone else. Okay, fine, go ask someone else. Uh, but you always have it. Some outfit looks amazing, and you're saying, yeah, the suit you have on. I know. Okay, I got it. But you think it's going to be amazing, you try it on, it's very unflattering on you. It just doesn't work. And I hope as Christians, missions aren't that way. I hope appearances aren't deceiving. Next, have you ever asked a sharp-looking person for directions and regretted that decision seconds later? Man, have you ever done that before? They start talking, I realize they don't have a clue what they're talking about. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to anything you say. And they keep talking, and finally I just drive off. I, you can't just drive off. Are you kidding me? They would have sat there all night. They have no clue. They're asking, hey, J Bob, do you know where is that little thingy? Where are you going? And you're just like, you know what, I'm out of here. Uh, so you don't have to deal with them. Some people look like they know what they're doing. They have no clue. They have no idea whatsoever. Maybe you, have you ever seen a commercial for a product, and then when you bought it, you felt tricked? I didn't know about this. Craig Weibel actually told me this is Crystal Pepsi. They actually put this out in the, I think he said the 80s, but I'm not, I don't remember this, but there's no color in it. It looks like water. It tastes like Pepsi. Now, people bought it and just said, hey, what's going on here? And they, they felt tricked, and this thing flopped because it's not what they thought it was. I'm sure many of you, when you can't sleep or you got something else, you bought something. I'm going to ask you in a minute. You bought something from an infomercial. Because you thought it was amazing. And then you got it. How many people did that and you couldn't wait to get this amazing thing? And then you got it and then you're thinking, this is it? Anybody ever admit to that? A lot of you are lying right now. All right, you got that before. Because you saw someone present it and make it look so appealing. But it just did not work out the way you thought. So on a spiritual application, as Christians, we are all supposed to make spreading the love of Christ worldwide a priority. All of us are. But some of us don't make it a priority. And I'll give some reasons for that, some personal reasons, some reasons you may be thinking in your heart. What's keeping me from spreading the love of Christ worldwide? In America, we really don't have 
an idea of what most of the world deals with. We're very insulated. We hear a story of Christians being tortured for their faith. And we think back to Bible times. But the reality is, this is happening today. More Christians were killed in the last couple of years than have been, for, I think I read the previous 100. Number one, it's because Christianity is spreading. And every time that happens, there's always oppression. But it's happening. And we're so insulated, we can become very blasé about our faith. It can cease to be a passion for us. And appearances can be deceiving. We can look the part. Our church can put on a very good missions month. We can have a missions conference. We can bring in missionaries. We can act like we really love them. And I know you mean well. I'm not trying to pick at you for that. But I really want you to look at your motive and think, are my appearances that I'm putting out deceiving myself or other people? I know once, I think it was my wife and I, we saw just a news clip, and they had a fire backstage at some sort of a beauty pageant. And all the contestants just had to run outside, and they weren't ready. So all these girls and ladies ran outside without all their makeup and hair done. And they were interviewing some of them. And the funny thing, I don't know if the news person thought it was funny or if they didn't understand, they were showing the ladies, some of them had, again, no hair done, no makeup, and they were showing them, and then next to it they were showing what they normally look like in the pageant. <laughs> yeah, there was no resemblance whatsoever. <laughs> you think, that's really what they look like? My wife will get mad at me for this, but I know that when we were dating... I didn't want that to happen to me. So I told a roommate, I would give her $10. I said, just sometime get a picture of the girl I'm dating with wet hair and makeup. Don't tell her you gave her the pic me the picture. So she did that, and I had a picture of her with wet hair and makeup. And she still looked beautiful. Um, so I thought, man, if we'd been married for a while, I'd show her that picture, and she'd be like, oh. She's like, give me that picture. <laughs> she, she still didn't like it. But as Christians... We're also supposed to make spreading the love of Christ worldwide. Priority. But we aren't careful. We offer a good appearance and a disappointing performance. If I were to stand before all the missionaries right now and give an account of myself to how passionate I am about spreading the love of Christ worldwide, would I have a good defense? Would I have a good argument? Whether supporting them financially praying for them, or finding other ways to encourage them, or making a, my schedule work for a missions trip, how paltry would my excuses be if I had to give an account of myself today in that regard? If we aren't careful, you can look the part, but deliver very disappointing performance. And I know what it is. We sincerely hope missionaries can do a good job and reach those people and spread the love of Christ. Because they're not real people to us. They're not tangible. It doesn't mean you don't care. Well, we don't care as deeply as we do the people that we truly love and have a burden for. I understand that. I can relate to that. 
But we have to be careful as we are approaching this month, we're really supposed to focus in on our worldwide vision for getting the gospel out. Let's not look at it corporately as a church. Let's look at it tonight individually. What are you doing to spread the love of Christ worldwide? What are you doing to encourage the missionaries around the globe that feel like they're isolated in a field, in a work, and no one even knows who they are? What are you doing to help people around the world who tomorrow morning, their biggest challenge will be, can I find any drinkable water for my family? When you listen to stories about a mother who has to give their child water from a dirty water source, and she has to have a stick with her, because after she gives her child that water, she has to then have them open their mouths and try to get the leeches off of the back of their throat with the stick, hoping there's not any contaminant that will kill her child, hoping that the leeches don't get too much into their system. But the alternative is that they dehydrate and die, hoping that they can find some sort of food to eat. Watching their child die and having no idea what to do when we just go down to the drugstore, go to our bathroom, reach in the cabinet, medicine cabinet, or maybe go to a doctor and get a quick prescription and solve that need. Sometimes if you're like me, our priorities and our necessities can choke our ability to care for others and to give sacrificially. We can stop anytime we want and take care of ourselves and buy a drink, buy a quick snack, buy a meal. Sometimes we want to rip totally good things out in our house and remodel our house. And you're thinking I'm picking on you. I'm really not picking on anybody. These are the thoughts that I felt challenged myself with as I prepared. So if this doesn't apply to you, that's fine. But I want you to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit says you can do to start helping spread the love of Christ around the world. But sometimes if we're not careful, I think we can get preoccupied into remodeling our home and taking out perfectly good things that are still functioning and still have value. Just because we want a fresh look. Just because it's time for an update. And we spend thousands of dollars that are ours. But if I were to stand before Christ, would I really feel that was a necessity? We stop frequently to take care of our own needs and wants at little gas stations, convenience stores, coffee stores, things like that. But is that really being a good steward of our money? Is that really what God has in mind when he allows us to have the expendable income? And it's almost insulting to most of the world. Do you know what some people call that? Disposable income. Think of that. Disposable. Most people in the world have no concept of income that's worthy to make a living off of. And we have disposable income, fun money. Think of all how blessed we are 
as a nation. And please don't tune me out or shut me off when you hear that, oh, you're talking about that, because again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm trying to be open and transparent about what the Lord had me and challenged me with when I was asked. Next, our narrow def definition of the biblical term neighbor causes us to miss opportunities to love those around us. Sometimes as you see this right here, you think of your loved ones and your friends that live close to you, or maybe in the lower 48, because that's where your friends or family are, and it's easy to move around to get an idea of it, and you hear most of that in the news. But unfortunately, vast majority of the world has no one who loves them. And according to the Bible, they are a neighbor. And if you don't believe that, read the story of the Good Samaritan. What is the last question? And who is my neighbor? Read that. Who is your neighbor? Are you doing anything to spread the love of Christ to that neighbor? Maybe it's a neighbor that's in a third world country that you don't know. But in God's plan, you're going to do something to help them and show them the love of Christ. Get them the gospel. Help fund a missionary that gets them there. Pray for them. Have a burden for them. Get a passion for them. Are we doing anything like that to get the love of Christ to those neighbors? Also, giving is not measured by the amount given, but by the sacrifice made. We can become enamored with people who give a lot of money. I'm not knocking you. It's very necessary. And you could definitely prove me wrong, but the one example that comes to mind of someone who impressed our Savior when he was on earth with the amount given was a widow who gave two mites. And if you read that story, many men gave in abundance at the same time. You know what Jesus said? I'm unimpressed. And then a lady came and gave two mites. And he stopped everything and said to his apostles, look at that. So sometimes we appease ourselves by throwing in a few dollars. I can give a few hundred dollars. Man, I'm a good Christian. Some of those men who walked in front of Jesus and threw some money into the pot that morning probably felt the same way. And probably the lady who gave two mites probably felt inadequate and insufficient and like a miserable Christian, like many things in the Christian realm, according to Christ, he flipped it upside down. And she is the one who is patted on the back and commended for her giving. My guess is if Jesus Christ came tonight and walked up to the platform and said, let me commend a few of you for the sacrificial giving, we would have some people in mind that we think he would call up but I think we would be surprised. I think we would be surprised by some of the people that came up there with very meager incomes, maybe even a fixed income, but give greater proportionately than many of us do who don't have to live that way. This could be a widow, as it was in the Bible, who gives a few dollars a year but has no expendable income. 
It could be a child who sacrifices and works hard to save money, to give to missions. While other people give more, but not more sacrificially. God wants our heart. He wants all of us to give so that we get a burden for those people who need to be reached around the world. I'll show you a couple verses tonight. You're welcome to turn. I'll put them on the screen, one passage. The first verse is the most convicting verse to me in the Bible while being satisfied with what I have. And I'll have another one in a minute. Ecclesiastes 4, 6, and you're welcome at some point to read 4, 4 through 4, 9. I think it's a great passage. It's a very interesting passage. But this verse right here is enough for tonight. Better is a handful with quietness than both a handful of travail and vexation of spirit. Better is one handful with quietness. As you read Ecclesiastes there, Solomon is talking all about trying to pursue gain, trying to pursue making a name for yourself, trying to pursue being somebody, trying to pursue keeping up with someone else, trying to look around and say, I need a newer car, I need a bigger house, I need a fancier title, I need this, I need this, I need this. And what happens is we become so enamored with keeping up with everybody else and buying new this and new this, we try to keep both hands full. And when you do that, have you ever reached into a bucket with some sort of, maybe it's grain, or maybe when you're little it's candy, or maybe it's sand, and you try to pick it up and you have both hands full and it's just doing, and things are just falling out and it's so frustrating, you're trying to get more, and you can't keep both hands full. You try to reach down and get more, and when you do it, some falls out, pretty soon you drop everything. It's just a very frustrating thing to do, and yet so many of us live our lives doing that. I need more. I need a newer car. Man, I don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to find, I need a bigger house because someone else, I need to remodel our house. I've got to spend more money on me. I've got to buy some new clothes. I've got to buy some of this or this. Or you know what? I've got to compete and put more hours in. Even though it doesn't really matter, I don't need it, but I need more. And we start living with two hands full. And what it have? It vexes our spirit and it causes tension and it causes strife and it causes a divided attention where we do not care about other people. We care about ourselves. Better is one handful with quietness. Am I satisfied tonight with one handful of things God gives to me? Am I satisfied tonight with one handful of the house I live in? Of one handful with the family he's given to me? Of one handful with the income he sees fit to give me? One handful with the cars that I drive? One handful with my needs, my wants? Am I satisfied with that? To be honest, a lot of times I'm not. I'll tell a couple transparent illustrations tonight, and I'll tell you one now. We have an older minivan that we've driven for years, and I drive that a lot of days. Now, to be real honest with you, I would like to get a different car, but God wants me to keep driving that car. Now, my youngest son, Joe, knows all three of my boys are learning to drive on that car. Please bless that car. Uh, but they've learned to drive in that car. He wants it to keep running because he, he wants me to give that to him someday. Isn't that ridiculous that a boy would want that? But I appreciate him being a better Christian than I am. Uh, but... That car, I didn't think it would pass emissions this year, so I was like, it's okay, I'll just get another car when that one doesn't, because I cannot in good conscience go get a new car. I don't need one. Again, the rich people in the world get rid of things to buy new things when they don't need them. So I said, okay, God, it's fine. It won't pass emissions. I'm going to go get a new car. And I knew it wouldn't pass emissions. I even went early to the emissions center because I was eager for it not to pass. It was one of the quickest emissions tests I ever had. I thought that was a good sign. The guy's like, hey, looks great. You passed the flying colors. I'm like, are you serious? Can you do it again? 
Now, you know why I didn't want the pass? Because my flesh wanted something new. You know what God says? You're good. You have one handful. That's all you need. Better is one handful of quietness. If you look at people's lives that fall apart, they're usually not satisfied with one handful of quietness. They're trying to get two hands full. And it vexes their spirit, and they live in a frustrated, tension-filled realm. How much of your tension tonight is caused by you trying to have two hands full? How much of the stress that you have in your life is caused by trying to have two hands full? Be content with one handful. And this is really how I talk to my wife, because I want to give her more. You know what she always says? I don't need it. My wife is amazing. She hates shopping. God bless that woman. I don't like it either, but she doesn't. I'll say, hey, let me take you shopping. I did that for her anniversary. She goes, you know what? I really don't like it. I don't want anything else. Isn't that what we all should be? Better is one handful with quietness. Are we accumulating more possessions or sharing them with our neighbors? What are we doing? Are we laying up treasures in heaven or are we accumulating possessions here? A couple passages, if you let me read it to you. I'd like to just read a couple of these things here. 1 Timothy 6, this is a great passage. If you want to read the passage to someone else, if you want to apply it to yourself, I'd recommend you put a big X through these verses because they are very convicting every time I read them. Uh, so it's much easier to be in my position to read them to you. Uh, but it was not so easy when I read them to myself. So let's read them, 1 Timothy 6. We'll start in the second half. Just, it's not that it's out of context. It's just because I don't have time to go through all the verses. Verse 5, he says, supposing that gain is godliness. Now that could be two things, gain is godliness. It either means that you seek godliness so that you can acquire more stuff you would perceive it as gain. You say, you know what, those who are godly have more, so I want to be godly. I don't think that's what we should do. Supposing that gain is godliness, supposing that, you know what, those people who have a lot, they're going to get more gain, or that you say, you know what, I, I, I want more gain, so I'm going to be godly. Either way, I don't think that's what God wants us to do, but it says from self, withdraw thyself. and says, when people perceive those who are godly having more gain or putting them on a pedestal, withdraw thyself from those people. Godliness with contentment. So it doesn't just say godliness is great gain. But godliness with what? Contentment. You know what can be easier to be godly than to be content? At least in my world. Are you content? Because when you're content and you're pursuing God, that's great gain. An easy definition for Christ-like is putting others first. That's it. Because that's what he did. That's what he lived. Are you putting others first and content with what you have? Are you driven to accumulate more for yourself? Are you driven to spread the love of Christ around the world? What is your passion? Where are you putting your energy? Next verse. We brought nothing into this world. It is certainly carrying nothing out. We know that. Do we live like that? I know that. Do I live like that? Do I live like, man, it matters what I have now? it doesn't really. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So it goes even further about contentment. How many of us have food choices and clothing choices right now available to us? Can you raise your hand? I would say that would apply to everybody in the room. 
If we have food and clothing choices, what does it say we're supposed to be? Content. But are we? Or do you walk by an advertisement, see it, and think, oh, a newer phone. Do you walk by a car dealership, say, oh, a nicer car. Do you drive by neighborhoods, say, a nicer house. Do you walk by the store, say, oh, a newer outfit. Are we content with our food and our clothing choices? What are we really pursuing? Next verse. Verse 9, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and prediction. I won't go into the whole definition of that verse. I think it's kind of self-explanatory. If you're rich, there's temptations and snares and many foolish and hurtful lusts because we see our desires, and we can actually fulfill those desires, which can be very damaging. And when that happens, we can become overwhelmed, and it can drown us in sin, our own desire, and destruction. What I want to point out is, they that be rich fall into temptation. For most of my life, I categorize rich as someone who has, are you ready, more money than me. Anybody else ever fall into that realm before? I'm not rich, but I'll tell you who is, and you name someone who has more money than you. But according to the worldwide view, we are the rich the Bible is talking about there. If you want to look up statistics, and I would welcome you to, enter in how much money you make a year and see what percentage of the world you are in terms of income. My guess is you're in the top 5% globally. And if you make a good amount of money, you're probably in the top 2 to 3% globally. And this is to everybody in this room. See, I don't make much. I understand. Put it in there. You're probably for sure in the top 10 those are the rich people. We are the rich people. And when I understood that and I started reading my Bible that way, it really changed my perspective. And it made me start to realize I am the rich person. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and every time a rich person came, if I put my name in there, but myself in that illustration, it was much more convicting. And if we're not careful, we can become poverty mindset, and no matter how much we have, we don't have enough. Basically, that's another word for being discontent. Are we content with what the Lord allows us to have? We could be one of the people that are around the world with nothing, and yet we're not. We're in America. We have everything. And I apologize, you know, I'm coming across too strong. I'm really not. These are just thoughts that I have. Next one. Loving myself is far easier than loving my neighbor. You know, as I work with this and think, thought through this, again, another transparent illustration. I like myself a lot. How many of you like yourself? How many of you, when you feel really thirsty, you think, I deserve a drink? Anybody else with that? <laughs> By that non-alcoholic drink. All right, yes, we have. All right. A few months ago, my wife called me. I was driving, and we were talking for a few, and she goes, you know, I feel like the Lord wants me to give um, some money to a specific missions need. And I, to be honest, when that happens, I should be thinking, praise the Lord, you know, God's working in her heart. You know what I usually say? Oh, no, she wants to give money. Um, so she said, how much do you think I would give, should give? Now, I thought I was being generous. 
And I told her, I know, you should probably give 50 to $100. Does that sound pretty generous to everybody in here? I thought it sounded very generous. I forgot about it. A few days later, I said, hey, what did you decide to give to this missions need? She said, well, I really was challenged by what you said to give. I said, wow, you were? She goes, yeah. I said, well, how much did you give? She goes, just what you said. I said, great. How much was that? She said, 1500 I said, hold, hold on. Let me clarify. Maybe we need a new wireless provider. Because we can't afford the one we have now. All right. I said, 50 to 100 And she, she thought it was funny. She says, oh, really? I thought you said 1500 I said, I get that. Is it too late to get the money back? And she did that. But you know what? I was serious. I like one of my money back. And I told her, I said, well, are you sure we should give that much? She goes, well, I would, the Lord just moved, and I was really challenged, and you said that much, and man, for you, I knew that was a big sacrifice. And I'm like, I started crying. It was a big sacrifice. <laughs> you have no idea. They better be, take care of my money, you know. Then I started to really get a burden. Dear God, you know. Because then it was tangible. It's like my money. You know why? Because I love myself more than I love my neighbor. I start thinking of different images around the world, and there's a couple images we'll show. You know, if you saw this face right here, it could be cute. I think you see a couple of those. See another face? You see people around the world, and you say, man, I hope someone reaches them. But we don't really feel that same burning desire that someone should go reach them. Because they're a person in need. I don't know them. And I do care, but how much do I care? But as I was thinking about that as preparing this message, I thought, what if they looked like the next picture I'm going to show you? What if it was them? What if it was your family? Would I care? Would I sacrifice? What if it was the next picture? What if it was them, my kids? Would I care more? Because I guarantee you, when God looks down, you know what he sees? His kids. I'm supposed to see as God sees. But am I? You can show the last couple. Do I see them, or do I just see a family on some foreign field? That needs Christ, yeah, but you know, I hope someone does that. Am I motivated? To spread the love of Christ around the world. As that happened, and I'll end very quickly, Mark 12, very common verses. The only reason I showed you the first verse is because I felt it led into the second one. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, with all thy mind, this, all thy strength. This is the first commandment. We're very familiar with that verse, and I think we all are challenged to do that. 1231, the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor. Again, neighbor there is much broader than we think. It's not the narrow definition of those that you happen to know and love. It's as God sees. 
There is none of the greater commandment than these. So as I read these verses again in preparing for this, you know, I thought sometimes if I'm watching something on TV and the animal cruelty commercial comes on, how many people are familiar with those things? Okay, how many of you watched that entire commercial? How many of you changed the channel as soon as your finger can find the remote? Okay, why do we think we changed the channel? Because we don't want to see that need. You don't want to see animals that have been mistreated. You don't want to feel bad. You don't want to be moved to give money. But it hit me. Am I doing that to the world? Are there needs around the world that I'm treating like an animal cruelty commercial? Am I just turning that off in my head? Am I deciding where my love goes by where I'm comfortable giving it? Am I willing to love my neighbor as God commands me in that verse? Am I willing to go above and beyond as God is asking of me? There's no other greater commandment than this. Just a couple questions will be done. So, last, before we're done. Am I content with my possession? Am I content? But there is one handful with quietness. Are you struggling to meet your priorities and necessities, in quotes, because they're not real? Two hands full. Where if you took a step back and say, God, you manage my finances, what would he change? Are you content with your possessions? Next, do my actions show that I love my neighbor as myself? Appearances can be deceiving. Do your actions back up our church's words? We have a missions month. We have a missions conference. We have missionaries we support. And that's awesome. But do your actions show that you love your neighbor as yourself, as Christ asked us to do? Do you have a burden for anybody else outside of your own little bubble? Are you turning your heart off and insulating yourself from seeing the need because you know you might be convicted and you certainly wouldn't want that to happen because that might change your lifestyle or that might change your goals or that might change your aspirations? You know, a few years back we were on a mission trip to Ghana. My wife was with me, and we were there, and we went to several places, and it was a great trip. And we went to a small village, and we were there. And my wife is um, always involved and just right down with everybody, and she loves getting to meet the nationals when we go on a missions trip. So she came to me, and she was crying, and she's holding a baby. I think there's a picture of that. And she's holding this baby, and she said as she's crying, can we take this baby home? Well, I thought she was kidding, and then I realized she's really crying, and I said, and I was sort of like incredulous. No, you know, we can't take this baby home. She basically said, the mother said the baby is sick and is going to die and is begging me to take it because it's the only chance the child has to live. Now, we did not take the baby. There's a whole litany of things that could have happened. But do we care about those people? Are you moved by that? What if that were your child that was dying? You had no hope, no resource. 
What would you do? What would you hope someone else would do for you? Are we judgmental and say, ah, they just need to manage their money better? As we sit in our American comfort and luxury, do we care? It's good for me to go and see the need. I think it would be good for all of us. I think it would be good for all of us to know missionaries a little better as pastor knows them. By name. Personally. Reach out and encourage them. And use our resources like we would. If our kids had a need, we want to meet it. Do we want to meet any needs of our neighbors that are around the world? Last, do I have a burden to spread the love of Christ to all of my neighbors? Do you have a burden? Do you want to spread the love of Christ worldwide to all of your neighbors? Not just your family, but to everybody. As we start our missions month, I just want to challenge all of us to have God's perspective on loving the world, God's perspective on loving our neighbor. I'm working on what that means in my life, and I'd love for you to work on what that means in your life. Would that affect your priorities and time? How you handle your money? It might. That's between you and the Lord. If there's anything tonight, if you feel like, you know what, I need to work on that. You're right, I don't love people around the world as I do the people I know. In just a second, we're going to have an invitation. Someone will sing. If there's anything you say, you know what, I need in my heart to get it right because I need to love the world as Christ loves them. I need to do what I can. Maybe he's not calling you to be a missionary, but are you loving them? Are you trying to encourage missionaries? Are you giving sacrificially as the widow with two mites gave? Are you going out of your way to find some way to reach more? Are you asking God, God, what can I do to help you accomplish your goal? Just ask yourself those questions.